Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of the 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about how plan sponsors should let 401k plant providers off uh, off the hook. Situations and issues that make him come up uh, from time to time with plant pro- providers. And my opinion, plan sponsors should not let their plant providers kind of get away with it. Um, and of course, first things first. Um, that 401ksite.com, we do have it up uh, for all of you to see, Arlington, Texas, and uh, Bronx, New York information. Um, uh, sign up, uh, 100 bucks to attend, couple hours, well, five hours, lunch, stadium tour, all that kind of stuff. Um, we'll talk about tickets at a later date once we get that hammered down. I know that with the Arlington uh, event, the game will be the night before for those who want to come out. You know, uh, we, we do have sponsors and certain providers who love that part of the game, uh, that part of the event going to a game. And, of course, uh, Yankee Stadium, uh, which will be in uh, June. Um, you know, New York events are always the best attended. Uh, and it will be great um, uh, to be out there in the Bronx one of the few times that uh, I, uh, I I don a Yankee jersey, uh, so you'll see me probably uh, wearing my Thurman Munson Yankee Road jersey, which uh, one of the few Yankee jerseys that I have as a lifelong Mets fan. Uh, so go to that 401ksite.com, sign up for that, sign up for the uh, National Virtual Conference. You can sign up on that 401ksite.com for a couple bucks. You get one of my emails. Most of my re- most of my listeners are probably getting my emails, and there are links to get in for free and not pay the two dollars and whatnot. But uh, let's go to the topic at hand. When I was younger, I was kind of shy or meek, and I didn't speak up for myself. And and that situation was probably until I started my own practice about thirteen years ago. You know, I I realized you know listen. Life is, you know, a path, and it's based on the decisions you make, and sometimes the decisions you don't make, and some of the successes and failures. But I realize as an adult now, at age 51, that if you want something, you can go ask for it. Uh, nobody's going to give it to you on a silver platter. Um, I realized, uh, you know, you're not entitled to anything. You're, you're not owed anything. What people give you or don't give you is really just a reflection on them. So when I um, changed firms once, and um, you know, it was a TPA firm, and I was they brought me in as a, another attorney, and the head attorney was fired because he was making too much money, and I was a lot cheaper. Um, I was making I want to say seventy five thousand dollars, and when I learned about the promotion, the kind of hope I wasn't married at the time, but just very very naive at the age of thirty. Um, make 100k I'd love to make 100k and needless to say uh, I I just my mouth dropped when the owner of the TPA said oh I'm gonna bump you to eighty thousand dollars what I didn't know was the paralegal at the time was making more money than I was making uh, and so the paralegal was you know uh, bumped down by 10 so I think he was making 80 then they pushed him down to 70 or whatever it was and so they fired this attorney who wasn't very, very good, but had a split of the profits. So, you know, come restatement time, the guy was making a quarter million, $300,000 a year. They aced him out. 
so that I was decent and making a lot less money, so they fired him. Uh, and of course, they, you know, reneged on what they owed him. But again, the, the, that just, you know, it's, you know, it's still, you know, is in the back of my mind. Uh, and that's why when I want something, I'm going to just go out there and ask you for it. Because over the next four years when I was at that firm, that's all I could ever think about. Uh, when it was, when it was race time, you keep on chasing that money and you never come up with it. So, you know, again, uh, my wife, you know, just the recent situation, uh, you know, she's a, she's a writing attorney, whatever it is. And, um, there's a job opening and this, you know, this is salary, uh, expectations are currently higher than what she got. Uh, so she asked for a raise. She got it. And then, of course, the ad for the writing position was, was lowered, but it is what it is. But, you know, you get older, you have complaints, you speak up, and then rather be, you know, I, I, I think speaking up is, is better than being passive-aggressive, uh, which is I'm a rec recovering passive-aggressive type. Um, and, you know, I think handling it, speaking up, is better than when things blow up. So when I had a business partner and I wasn't making money in the situation, I asked for what I thought was right. People thought I was crazy, and I got what I got. And that, you know, that that relationship, uh, you know, that situation, that, you know, situation when I, where I was at, where I got a bigger piece of the pie, needless to say, it put me on the road to getting out of debt that, you know, that I had been in for about 10 years because of the hurricane. But uh, you learn, you know, as an adult, and, you know, I was a late bloomer, you learn that people will walk over you if you let them. And, you know, if you're a 401k plan sponsor, you know, get plan providers, there's a situation where, you know, things happen and you shouldn't never let the plan providers walk over you. They work for you. You don't work for them. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the customer is always right. I always hate that kind of term because, you know, there are a lot of times when I work for a TPA and the customer thought that they were right and they were wrong because the law didn't allow them what they wanted to do. So the customer, you know, when I, I believe in the 401k world, they're not always right. They're, they're, they're right up until, you know, the code or ERISA says they can't do what they want to do. So in terms of like letting plan providers off the hook, number one is if they break it, they should pay for it. You know, there's that saying, you have a gift shop, you always have, you know, memories as a kid, you know, the idea is if you break something, you should pay for it. And in my opinion, retirement plan providers are no different. You know, if a retirement plan provider makes a mistake, they should pay something for it. Uh, what should they pay? Well, listen, the damages, in my opinion, is the difference between what has happened and what would have happened if the error was not made. So, perfect example. Um, I had a law firm client, and it was funny, the retiring uh, guy, uh, one of the partners I just saw at City Field, he retired. Uh, you know, of course, as a sole proprietor, you can make work your own hours. And I was at City Field with my son. Um, we, we were playing golf. They, they took uh, City Field and they do that with a whole bunch of other stadiums and they turn into a golf range. And I was there and Warren Park was there. And he had an interesting plan. Years ago, um, their former TPA screwed up the top-heavy test. Uh, they screw up the top-heavy test. Well, this guy, it was this uh, attorney who's now since retired. His wife and daughter work for the firm. And 
the administrator for the CPA didn't register them as key employees. And, you know, we've got these attribution rules. It's pretty simple. Um, and let it go and said there's no top-heavy minimum. So uh, what transpired, uh, you know, I think is the top-heavy test required an $8,000 contribution. So if the test was done correctly, the cost of the plan sponsor would have been $8,000 at the time. Three years later, the new TPA catches it. Well, the cost is now $8,000 plus earnings. So when you go to the TPA, old TPA, and they screwed up, you can't ask for the $8,000 plus earnings. It's not fair because if the plan was screwed up, I mean, if the plan was done, if the testing was done correctly, then they'd have to, you know, the, the plan sponsor would have paid the eight grand. So in my opinion, you got to get something for it. So we were able to get like a $3,000 abatement from the TPA. They, they wrote a check for $3,000 to fix it. And $3,000 is a lot better than nothing. And again, I don't think it would have been fair to ask for the eight grand. Um, with an error, you know, you need to be put it back into a place as if the error never happened. So again, if you have a failed ADP test uh, and you could have made refunds, well, maybe you have an argument that uh, the plan provider should pay for the QMAC. Uh They'll fight it left you know, here, you know, left and right. But uh, obviously, that's a situation where they're precluded. You know, if you don't make that refund uh, the following year and it's discovered years later. That refund is out of the question. You have to do the QNEC. So, um, you know, the problem sometimes with is that the error is too great. And one of my favorite stories is uh, a financial advisor told the plan sponsor, uh, you know, make this TPA change. Uh, it'll affect the stable value, but I'll pay for any type of correction, um, you know, market value adjustments. And, you know, they thought the market value adjustment a couple grand, and the market value value adjustment was 30 grand. And then all of a sudden, the financial advisor was no longer returning phone calls. And, uh, you know, of course, I had to get involved there. But, uh, you know, it reminds me when with screw-ups, we had a processor doing trades at the CPA that I was at. Harvey Berman was the guy I was working for. He was one of the CPA's bosses and whatnot. And uh, this woman screwed up, got fired, caused an error to the plan sponsor. Big financial error. I don't know the uh, you know, whole story, but I do remember Harvey Berman saying, you know what, uh, this is why we have errors and emissions insurance. Um, you know, and if your plan provider makes an error, you just want them to accept it. You don't want an apology. You want them to fix the mistake. And, and that, that's, that's fine. But don't let them get away with screwing up and not paying for it. That's how I see it. And, of course, uh, my favorite story about screwing up errors is uh, as a 316 administrator, TPA didn't give me a breakdown on fees. The financial advisor got paid, like, instead of a, their quarter fee, they got their annual fee. Um, advisor changed firms and wanted me to fix the error. And I said, I'm not going to fix the error. What you can do is... Uh, your old uh, advisory firm can return the money. And that's the, mis the mistake is fixed. And, uh, you know, I said, that's that. And, of course, they went to the plan sponsor, and the plan sponsor demanded that I pay that money, which is, you know, more than the fee I got. 
And I said to them, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's on Monday. By Friday, if I don't hear back from you, I'm going to report this matter to the Department of Labor because uh, this financial advisory firm, as a plain fiduciary, cannot accept more money than they were contracted to. It's a prohibited transaction. And voila, uh, before Friday was up, uh, the advisory firm agreed to return the money. So that's, again, uh, don't let people get away. Uh, if you give people the opportunity to walk all over you, they will. It's just, you know, most people are good, but there's quite a few people out there that don't have the best of intentions. Next, not to let them get away with things, the revolving door contacts. So my son is involved with a, a program. It's a state-funded program. There's an administrator that we need to help run it. So every three months, it seems the day-to-day -day contact is gone. And what does that tell me? It tells me the administrator has a revolving door, and there could be a myriad of reasons, you know, terrible place to work, lousy benefits, blah, blah, blah. And I work at a TPA where I joke that we should have had a front door that was a revolving door because we kept on switching out administrators and switching out staff. And, you know, if you're a plan sponsor and your day-to-day -day contact for the TPA changes every three to six months, I don't think that's good. You need a rapport with your plan and provider that is built on communication and trust. And that's hard to do when, you know, uh, the guy or gal that you work with, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's bad. Um, so, you know, one of, uh, it reminds me of a bar situation in one of the places I like to go to for business lunch, and I've been going to for years and years, um, is the Cheesecake Factory in Melbourne. And the Cheesecake Factory in Melville is better than the Cheesecake Factory in Garden City, Westbury, whatever it is. That, that, that place is like uh, the busiest Cheesecake Factory on earth, and I don't know why. So Dan Venturi and I will have lunch. And, you know, back in the day, we'd go out every week, and now we go, you know, maybe once a month. And there's one of my favorite people, Dan Esposito. He's the bartender there. So I've known Dan for like five, six years, and... When I had a little event for my son's birth, uh, for my son's graduation, we invited him. You know, it's great to see a, 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 a face, um, a friendly face, who knows that the first thing I want at in the morning, because I'm there when it opens at 11.30, is a Sam Adams seasonal. And, of course, I was there last week, and Sam Adams Oktoberfest was still on tap, which I love. I think that's the best Sam Adams seasonal. So... You know, if the bartender, if Dan changed jobs and there was a rotating uh, uh, list of bartenders every week, there was somebody new or every month there was somebody new, it, it, you know, the place wouldn't be as fun. Going to, um, you know, going to the Cheesecake Factory in Melville wouldn't be as enjoyable. Sure, yeah, Dan's going to cut me a check for the work that I did for him because Dan's a 316 TPA and all that stuff. But it would be, uh, wouldn't be half as fun if Dan Esposito wasn't there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, turnover to me is a sign of trouble. Um, you know, uh, and I say that as somebody who was a malcontent, uh, as an employee, I mean, there's some people that weren't meant to be employees and I probably was that person because I know better than everybody else. So there is a reason why a plan provider may have a constant, you know, turnover and day-to-day -day contact. So, so, you know, turnover doesn't help, uh, you as a plan sponsor. So I think it's important to speak up. Next, going into business for themselves, and uh, I've talked about this a lot. In professional wrestling, when someone goes off script, in professional wrestling, I just went to, uh, I went to the big event, which is a wrestling, 
signing show, which are trying to expand to sports. So I met a whole bunch of wrestlers, but mostly I went to meet a whole bunch of 86 Mets. Uh, Lenny, Wally, uh, Jesse, Hojo, um, Ray Knight, uh, Lou Pinella was there too. And I did get to see a couple wrestlers. Trish Stratus was there. And Trish is, uh, I've had a crush on her for 25 years. Um, Trish was there. Uh, I did get to see Rhea Ripley because the line was so damn long. And you'd see some old-time wrestlers. I, you know, I don't want to pay $30, $40 to see the Honky Tonk Man. I don't know why. but And I did see Nicole Eggert. Which I don't know why the the girl from Charles in Charge and you know, Sarah Baywatch was at a wrestling event, but she was there and whatever it may be. But in professional wrestling, there's an expression going into business for yourself, and um, that's when somebody basically goes off script uh, and goes and does something for themselves. And when it comes to four K plans, you know your plan sponsor, your plan fiduciary. Uh, you can't go into business for yourself because you're a fiduciary. You have a higher duty of care and law and equity, the highest. So, you know, don't let plan providers go into business for themselves. And what does that mean? Uh, an advisor who says you got to change TPAs, if the current TPA is doing their job and it's fantastic what they do. Or, you know, um, the, the TPA wants you to fire the advisor because the TPA is producing TPA and wants to be hired as the advisor. Or they want somebody else that they like better. Um you know, again, a plan is for the exclusive benefit of employees. Don't hire plan providers uh, or fire them just because someone else wants you to. So another plan provider wants you to. Everything should be done because it's best for you and not best for them. So when somebody says, oh, I want you to change TPAs, is that the best for you or is that best for them? If it's best for them, forget about it. I just don't think it's, uh, don't think it's, uh, don't think it's fun. I think it's a bad idea. So I won't let these providers off the hook if that's what they want to do. Next, um, you know, the termination fee, I've always described it. Um, I, uh, you're hired to be fired. Uh, you sign a contract. There should be a termination clause. And I think the biggest issue that I have is um, terminations and, you know, any type of fees out there. And again, I, I still don't like the idea of a TPA charging a deconversion fee. I get fired as a risk attorney. It's not personal. It's business. It happens. Uh, I don't charge a fee for it, but a TPA, because of the work that's involved, they feel they're entitled to it. I'm not going to quibble about it. It is what it is. Uh, I'm not, you know, until the Department of Labor says something about it, I think it's always going to be there. I've often told the story about the TPA that, you know, on a plan that I work on, we paid them. You know, $130,000 in fees on an annual basis. In my opinion, when it's an annual basis, that should include $5,500 in the VAL. They thought differently. They tried to get us for another $80,000, and uh, I told them to pound sand and, uh, you know, file the complaint with the Department of Labor. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's a big issue. I think it'll be a bigger issue over time. You know, I've worked at CPA where... Again, deconversion fees weren't spelled out. You give the, you know, you tell the guy running the place, this is, you know, who's terminating, and he would ask, well, who's the advisor? And who the advisor was would determine whether the fee was excessive or not. So, you know, I, I just, 
I think that, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to charge, you're going to have the chutzpah, uh, which is the nerve to charge a deconversion fee. And uh, again, I, I say that with all respect. Uh, it should be spelled out in the agreement, a, a guesstimate of what the deconversion fee could be. You know, it's it's $250 an hour, and we assume it's going to be such and such and such. Here's the range. Something. Because, you know, it, it's a sticker shock. Uh, and I hate sticker shocks. Uh, again, that's why I charge a, a, a flat fee um, for almost everything I do except for government audits. So, you know, deconversion fees, the other thing, you know, nobody wants to talk about, which I think they are talking about because of, you know, interest rate environment that we are, but the market value adjustment with stable value funds. Um, when changing providers, uh, there may be a request to change a stable value fund and there may be a market value adjustment involved and it could be an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, again, like I said, that advisor, a $30,000 um, market value adjustment, he didn't want to pay for it, even though he said he would pay for any market value adjustments. Now, um, you know, stable value fund, uh, you know, it's a guaranteed investment contract, and they're, you know, surrender charges if, uh, you know, in the agreement, there may be a market value adjustment, which is a calculation. An insurance company applies to the amount you get if you take or move your, uh, before the term ends, and affects by interest rate changes, and blah, 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 but right now, we're in a situation where it's propping up because we're in a increased interest rate environment. Uh, and again, that's something that comes out uh, here and there. Uh, best way out of that situation is to still use the sta same stable value provider, do a uh, in-kind exchange or something. And, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of plan sponsors, got friends in the um, stable value business, and uh, they can help out. But, you know, if you're moving to an insurance company platform, you may not be able to do that if you're moving from another insurance company uh, provider platform. But it's, again, it's one of those sticker shocks. And um, you got to go through, you know, I don't think participants should get a $30,000 haircut. But that happens if you, you know, change the, try to change a stable value uh, plan provider. So... Uh, that'll be it for this week's episode of that 4K podcast. And go go to that 4ksite.com for further information on all our live events. We got a virtual event in January, live events May, June, and hopefully more down the line. My son is always pestering me about Milwaukee, but we'll see what happens. Um, let's build up interest for those live events, and of course the virtual event. You get one of my emails. Click on the link. You can sign up for free. Got about 35 people so far. Hopefully have triple digits this year. We'll see what happens. But again, go to that foreigngaysite.com for further information. And thank you for, you know, tuning in and hope you tune in for another fun-filled episode of that Foreign K podcast. Thanks. Bye.